0: welcome to the winged wheel podcast here to talk all things hockey are your hosts brad crisco ryan Hanna, and evan lobsinger
1: some big occasions today uh first official day of the red wings off season this year or after you know this this season that just wrapped up i should say um so we are officially in Hockey offseason mode, not podcast offseason mode. There's actually, if you're a Red Wings fan, the offseason is arguably more busy than the regular season. Um, it's Steve Eiserman's birthday. Happy birthday, Stevie. Um, I love any occasion to do with Steve Eiserman because whether it's you know his birthday, him being GM of the Red Wings again, like anything like that, people always just post the St. Louis overtime goal clip. And it's just so <laughs> it's the funniest thing seeing it pop up everywhere. And it's one of my favorite hockey highlights ever um also happy mother's day Uh, i hope everyone hugged their mom called their mom uh for those of you who uh, don't have your mothers with you anymore i hope today uh, wasn't too difficult and for those of you who uh weren't so uh, fortunate growing up to have a mother figure around i hope uh you just had a good sunday um, I'm making that serious note because I know Brad is going to be a jerk and make a joke and it's going to make me look bad. Or no, he agreed to he agreed not to. He's going to take it out on the patron later. <laughs> I love that's a very real statement. Yeah, it's that's how that's how we support or that's how we uh, give back to the uh paying supporters of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Brad is going to make s- severely uncomfortable <laughs> jokes towards them, and I think that's growth because in the past you would have made me look like an <laughs> asshole. So
2: this is fair. It, it, it's fun. I'm the one with all the issues on this subject, but uh Ryan has to make sure I'm not the asshole in this situation.
1: So I like to take that as a a big achievement. And uh, yeah, there's me uh, coming up as the jerk again. Um, <laughs> so uh, how did everyone celebrate, I don't know, celebrate, spend their first day of the Red Wings offseason?
2: I, I worked
3: stress-free. It was nice. And I went furniture shopping and called my mom. That was about all I did today.
1: You're very broke now, Evan? Yes. More so than I was previously. There's a small chance that you might inherit my Jolus Arena seats temporarily, because they were supposed to go in the studio. Yeah, no, you can put them right in the middle of your living room.
3: There's n- We have no room. <laughs> As we have now begun packing, we've realized how much shit we have accumulated in our house. And event- unfortunately, it needs to move. So, um, no more stuff. We are we are stuff free at Man, this just point. Just wait till you have a baby. You see, remember what happened at Brad's house? Yes, it was like Toys R Us threw a grenade <laughs> in the living room
1: uh lots to talk about in this episode of the winged wheel podcast uh we actually just wrapped up an interview uh with tony ferrari of dauber prospects uh in the dauber Draftcast, uh and you're you're going to hear that in a little while uh we are going to discuss the red wings final game what's happening with their draft lottery odds and a couple of red wings points uh leading up to you know uh, the season review episodes that are going to come later this week uh some stuff around the nhl you know, namely, they rhyme with Connor Schmick David and how good he is. Uh, before we get into overtime, we'll just see where it takes us. Something I do want to talk about first. Uh, you guys will know that we've been running the uh, fundraiser in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, over the past little while. Um, our goal was to raise a thousand bucks. We thought if we put up a thousand bucks, uh, to match, and we get a 1000 bucks from you guys, uh, the Red Wings uh, fandom will be thrilled. Um, the total by the end of it, by what I could count through Twitter and everywhere else where the donations came in, was just shy of $4,400. Um, so you guys are absolutely incredible. Thank you so, so, so much for that. Um, I want to give a very special shout-out to uh, Everett, who is at born to Dan Hart on Twitter? Ever helps us out on the show, uh, with a few things here and there. And he was happy to chip in to bring, uh, the match total up to a thousand dollars. Uh, I also want to thank Prashanth Iyer, who, uh, came up, um, over the weekend with an additional $500 match donations, which drew in another round of donations as well. So thank you to Prashanth. Uh, Nathan Rocker donated $500. Um, you know, Katie, david you guys or josh uh wyatt those are all people i have recorded as you know hundred dollar plus donations uh we received in total i think just shy of 80 donations that i counted so guys this is an incredible thing that you did um the jamie daniels foundation appreciates it so so much uh ken daniels and lisa daniels goldman i'm sure appreciate it so so much and just again to cap it off uh, the Jamie Daniels Foundation. It's a children's foundation initiative. Uh, it was established in memory of Jamie Daniels uh, and founded by Jamie's father, Ken Daniels, and his mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. Uh, they want to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those who are struggling with the de- disease or who are in recovery. And uh, you guys made a big difference in that realm. So um, we're over the moon. Uh, as Evan would have put it on Twitter, you cease to amaze me. <laughs> so.
3: Th- <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm a dummy don't don't do anything after a, on friday after working all week <laughs> brains just so
1: thank you evan for uh for the levity and keeping our feet on the ground but no seriously guys you're all incredible we appreciate you so much and um and thank you for supporting the jamie daniels foundation
3: both of you would have deleted 100 percent, i would have 1000 percent. that's have. just i didn't even notice and you, I didn't even notice when you uh, corrected me. I was like, I don't know what you're talking you're about. Just built- See,
2: this is how I know you don't go on Twitter enough. I don't delete tweets. I just correct myself in a subtweet and
1: call myself an idiot. If I did that every time I made a typo, I would have double the amount of tweets out there as I do right now. All I do is make. Yeah, a that's how you tweet. pump the numbers up, man. You think I'm doing that by accident? That's not a plan. Come on, you guys are just built different. I'm, I'm weak. I'm simple-minded. I'm sorry um all right the red wings in typical red wings fashion made their traditional late season charge up the standings uh taking three of a possible four points against columbus ending up uh behind columbus in draft lottery odds i will say i had a fun weekend watching this team though that makes one of us
2: well there were there were moments uh if there was a Red Wings player and their initials were
1: JV, I very much enjoyed their weekend. Well, let's start out with that. Joe Valeno, power play goal from the left wing. Gorgeous shot. Like, Snipe could not have placed it better. That's all I wanted to see before the end of the season. That's what I saw. I will die a happy man.
2: Yeah. Um, he earned himself a healthy scratch with that goal, which we'll talk about. But, yeah, I mean, it was Jacob Vrana on a beautiful cross seam pass on the power play to an open man who could actually unleash a really good shot it was the first time they attempted that all year and it worked what a concept disclaimer might not have been the actual first time they tried it but it worked and it was beautiful and we got to see joe valeno's goal which was probably one of the highlights of the season
1: must see JV in every way, JV to JV. The JV jokes are abound in Detroit again, which is uh, nice to see because that would be the first time that's happened since Verlander left. Um, yeah, I I was thrilled that Valeno got his goal. I wasn't too pressed that he got sent down. I assumed that had something about getting him in Grand Rapids before the end of the season slash, you know, tank slash, you know, there's a lot of veterans who might have been playing their last game for the Red Wings. I don't I don't really care. I didn't think it was that big of a deal.
2: It's not a huge deal, but it was still the wrong move because, one, they went with 11 forwards. Like, there there was not that. They could have pulled the defenseman out. That wasn't a huge deal. They could have pulled Lindstrom out. They could have pulled Stahl, Biega. Who cares? They could have got Valeno in there. And the only reason I say that is unless there were some travel implications, um, because Valeno and Giovanni Smith did get assigned to Grand Rapids, like literally 15 minutes ago. Um, it sends a bad message because Valeno played a very strong five games. He scored a power play goal. He had a strong game Friday night and his reward for it was not playing the season finale. And if it was to get, like if they dressed 12 forwards and you couldn't really justify scratching a Glenny, a Helm, a Philpo, which I wouldn't either in what could be their last game as a Red Wing... Then, yeah, sure, you you can explain that to him. But if I'm Valeno sitting there going, well, I've been playing well, you're only dressing 11 forwards like what? Again, there could be Traveler Grand Rapids implications. And if that's true, then everything I'm saying is a moot point. But if it's not, I want to say it just in case. But, yeah, it's just I don't love the message that it sends. Just be like, hey, great job, kid. Now piss off
1: honestly like i get what you're saying if this is mid-season where you know there's a lot of games ahead of them i would agree with you brad but i i, I think in the world of things this could be at the end of the season as things wrap up it's kind of it has very last day of school vibes right like and Valeno has a job to do even after that last game beyond the red wings which is grand rapids so I would bet a lot of money that it had something to do with that or had something to do with getting a veteran in or like, I don't know. It, it's a million though. Lo- it's those tiny things that you don't see when you look into the, the, the goings on of a roster movement in the NHL. I do wish that um, there's a little bit of more, there was a little more communication that was standardized by the NHL for roster moves, but that's a bigger conversation regarding, you know, betting and, and who, which goal he's starting and you can't announce it last second, but uh, I digress. Uh, anyways, uh, so the Red Wings took uh, that game, and what was it? Leno scored. DeKaiser scored off that weird goal. Verona scored uh, yet another goal where he took the puck, and the way he's able to fire the puck when his body isn't framed in the right way to do so and put that puck in. And we were talking about this before the podcast. Like, we'll talk about it now, and, and Brad's going to do a better job explaining it because Brad's a forward. But most people, if they were to try what he did at best, would fall on their face. Like Throwing your weight behind that puck and, and firing it like he did is not an easy thing to do. Jacob Verona is just a blast to watch.
2: It is, and it's one of those goals where even to the to first glance, it looks like a nice goal. Ponic gave him a good pass, and he hammered a one-timer into the top corner, and that's always a nice goal. But when you actually break down that shot, that's one of those plays... That if you've never attempted what Vrana had to do on that shot, you really don't get just how difficult it was. Because that puck came in on him, so he had to kind of adjust his body, lean his weight forward, hit the puck with the toe of his stick. But his stick blade wasn't, couldn't get flat on the ice because the angle he had to shoot it on. T- to take that shot without it being a one-timer is almost impossible. They hit it with a one-timer and put it in the top corner is just crazy. That's one of those goals, like it's like you see it first and you're like, yeah, that was nice. You watch the replay and you go, that man is not human.
1: Yeah, um, I thought it was stated really well on Twitter by Prashanth. One of his big takeaways of the year was he didn't realize just how good Jacob Vrana was. And the the resounding message we heard from Caps fans and from people who paid attention to the Capitals when Detroit got Vrana was, you know, Eisenman got a good haul for Mantha Um all things considered Verona as is, but there really was a strong sentiment among those who were in the know that there was more to unlock with Verona, which you don't often find with someone his age. He's not old, but generally by his age, you know the kind of player he is, but he was playing uh, behind a very talented cup-winning Washington Capitals team and didn't really jive with the coach and given more opportunity, a lot of people felt that he could do more. Detroit hasn't seen a massive sample size from him, but they've seen enough to know that this guy is the real deal in terms of scoring goals. He's a real deal in terms, in in terms of raw talent and making plays happen out of nowhere. And what does he have? 19 goals on the year. That's nearly a 30 goal pace over a full season, according to Brad's, you know, pre episode math. Like that is to get rid of Mantha and get that plus, like you can be mad about everything else this season. If this was the first year you watched the Red Wings and you're so disappointed about everything else, you can be thrilled by the fact that Detroit gets Jacob Verona on this team. Um, I think that he opens up a world of opportunity in the rebuild in terms of either keeping him as a player or, you know, more unpopularly, possibly flipping him for another premium asset down the road. Um, I'm just over the moon. And from the moment he came onto the team until the end of the season, I, I thought he was just fantastic. He scored eight
2: goals in 11 games as a red wing from what i can tell here and my favorite stat about that is if you took out the 11 goals he scored with the capitals and just used his eight he is tied for fourth on this team in goals in 11 games
1: <laughs> Wow, i hate that stat <laughs> Again, we're going to be doing our That's season review episodes this over the next couple uh, episodes in the next week or so. So, more to come on that, but yeah, uh horrible way to to summarize the season. Thank you, Brad, for that. Yep. <laughs> uh next game was just the Red Wings being the Red Wings Verona had a, a funky tip-in goal Danny de kaiser scored on a slap shot. Uh that wasn't an audio glitch. You heard it right. Danny DeKeyser scored in two consecutive games. Um and this one was intentional off a slap shot. Um, every time Columbus took the lead, Detroit would tie it. Sam Gagne tied it in the third. Rosslovic put uh, Columbus up. And then Filip scored to tie it with under four minutes left. And when Columbus got that point, that's when it secured them uh, lower than the Red Wings in the standings and thus higher in the lo- draft lottery odds. Uh, and we know the rest of the story there. So um, I don't know quintessential red wings end of season game i've said it all year i don't care i i can't possibly bring myself to be mad about this uh, we've like we've talked about how this draft isn't the strongest draft from one through ten you can make a case through it for a lot of guys and in reality the best player might not be taken you know the top three players won't be taken one two three in all likelihood this year so if detroit drops to 10th whatever. Is it good? No. Is it worth losing your mind over? No. It's just the way these things shake out. That's at least how I look at it. Well, I don't think the Red
2: Wings can pick 10th, can they? Because they are getting passed by Vancouver or Calgary for sure because they play each other four times. So someone's getting the necessary amount of points to leapfrog Detroit and good chance both of them will if they split the games. Um, The one... Thing that I do want to point out because obviously I was like, everybody on Twitter was upset about the Red Wings blowing their draft position. Not that it's a big deal this year, Ryan's absolutely right. But I do want to point out that when Columbus took that 4 3 lead late in the third period, that was Columbus then prece- uh, followed that by playing the worst hockey I've seen any NHL team play in a five minute span in my f-ing life. Columbus was I don't believe in tanking. I don't think any team actively tries to tank on the ice. But that stretch of play by Columbus looked as much like a tank as I've ever seen. It was horrible. So, of course, the Red Wings tied it.
1: So, as it sits right now, um, and you guys probably know this, but just to rehash, Seattle, the Seattle Kraken get the third best lottery odds no matter what this year. So, as it sits right now, locked into the worst odds, worst and second worst odds, or sorry, best odds and second best odds are Buffalo, who came 31st, and Anaheim, who came 30th. Um, unless, yeah, no, that those two have the worst, and then comes Seattle. So, arbitrarily, Detroit can't finish better than those three. Um, New Jersey finished lower than Detroit. Columbus finished lower than Detroit. So, Detroit, at best, can have the sixth best lottery odds. Now, below them still in the standings technically right now but with higher win percentages or points percentages I should say are Vancouver and Calgary. They play each other a bunch to end the year. Calgary has 5 games left, Vancouver has 7. If Calgary gets a single point in their last 5 games, they'll pass Detroit in the standings and thus have worse lottery odds. Um, Vancouver is 5 points back in Detroit but has 7 games. So, if they get 5 of a possible 14 points, um and two of them have to be regular uh regulation wins it's a little bit more complicated detroit's rw column is at 16 vancouver's is at 14 with seven games left to play a lot can happen uh detroit can essentially finish no worse than seventh if you count calgary and vancouver playing each other at best uh sixth here if both calgary and vancouver pass them two teams win the lottery this year they've reduced it from three to two and thus Detroit can move up to first or second, stay at uh well, whatever their draft position is, or get bumped down two spots. Um, so their options for draft
2: slot right now could be one, two, six, seven, eight, nine, and nothing else.
1: Yeah. I'm fine with that. You hope for the win. If it doesn't come, it doesn't come.
2: Based on my rankings, I'd really like to avoid that 8-9, but I know the NHL draft will not sync up with my rankings, so it's probably fine. Why do you want to avoid In my head. Why do you want to avoid 8-9? Because I have a, right now in my rankings, I have a pretty clear top seven. So if I can, if I were the GM of the Red Wings, I'd want to guarantee one of those seven guys. I know my list does not matter, and I know the NHL draft will not follow my list, but we have nothing really to do until the draft except cover the draft and the expansion draft. So I'm going to pretend I'm the Red Wings GM so I have something to arbitrarily root for.
1: I've yet to decide where the fall, where the the, the drop-off is. Like, there's a lot of guys. I don't know if that's at seven. So I'm curious to see once we talk about lists where yours is. Um, I don't know. As long as it's not... A completely off the board pick again i don't know uh, not concerned uh anyhow in wrapping up the red Wings season uh now on the clock is jeff blashill his contract has expired uh the red wings have to decide what to do with him the uh indication i have had from a couple different people sources whatever and this is very loose is that it's going to be decided quickly um, i would imagine by the time a lot of you are listening to this i would bet that some news has come out that's not guaranteed that's just kind of the the indication of the inkling that i have if i had to guess or put money on it um and obviously we're going to be talking more about that in the episodes to come but a little bit of attention for that right now my prediction blashell's back uh one year contract with an option for a team a team option for a second year i don't know where you guys are at like what the vibe you get with blashell is
2: well Given that Columbus and Arizona already cut ties with their coaching today rather than letting it drag out and have the quote unquote dead man walking, I think that we're coming to a Blashill extension because if Iserman isn't making a snap decision here, he did not decide today whether or not he was keeping or moving on for Blashill. He's probably known for a while, and by a while, it could be a week, two weeks, three weeks, but he's probably had a pretty damn good idea. So the longer this drags out, the more that leads me to think they're talking contract. Uh, if it's the other, we should probably hear very soon.
3: Yeah, my thoughts were, you know, the longer it goes, makes me feel like there's a contract being worked on and agreed upon. If there wasn't, it'd be pretty dry cut done within, you know, a couple of days at the most. So. I think we've got an extension on our on our hands.
2: That being said, Steve Eisman does like to keep things out of the media as much as possible. So it's 830 Eastern right now. I legitimately would not be surprised if they are letting him go that that news comes through at like 1130 tonight. Uh, and I'm not even
1: saying that to be a joke like that is traditionally how Eisman's operated. So uh, it wouldn't be the biggest shock. Thank you for saying that on air because otherwise I'd be so pissed that we went through this whole episode not acknowledging that that's a possibility. You're right. Steve Eisman is a wild card whether you know he acts it or not. People don't understand <laughs> that he does play things extremely close to the chest. So you can't read too much from what he says. You have no other choice. It's all we have to go on. But you really can't read too much into what um, Steve Eisman says. Anyhow. That is a, a quick little look at the end of the Red Wings season. Anything you guys want to cover about the way the Red Wings finished off the season before jumping into our interview with Tony? Absolutely not. Incredible. Uh, up next, we have Tony Ferrari to talk about the U18 Worlds uh, that just ended. Canada dominated, dominated that tournament through and through and ended up victorious. And we got a look uh, at some future stars most notably in 2022 and 2023 in Wright, uh, Michikov, and Bedard. So um, tune in as Tony gives us the rundown on what happened with that tournament and enjoy the interview. Our favorite ball draft analyst. Tony, I love that you've put that in your Twitter bio. It makes it so much easier to identify you.
0: Oh, it's just the easiest way to identify me. Like I, I walk around, the shines are out out there in the ranks, Everyone knows it's me.
1: Yeah. Anytime I come close to Windsor, I know I'm there because I just see a
0: giant beacon in the sky. That's mean. I shouldn't make fun. Yeah. No. It's it's fine. It's uh it's nicer than what my kids tell me. So, <laughs> oh, God, what did they say? Oh, they're just mean. Like my my son, my nine year old, constantly tells me to grow my hair back because he doesn't. He just doesn't like the way it looks. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, if I could, I would. I just, they can't. <laughs> it's not a thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're all big fans of male pattern
0: baldness, little one. Thank yeah. you for that. Let- yeah, I mean, my I, I loved it going bald at like 20, 22 and having to shave it at 24. Like, I, it was my favorite thing, not being able to style my hair past 21. Next time your son says anything about it, just explain to him how genetics works. <laughs> oh, no, I have. I've told him. He, I'm like, you're going to go bald like your uncle did at 17. Like, have fun, buddy. Yeah. All this bad karma's is going to get you.
1: You have five years on him. And every time he makes fun <laughs> of you, that's another month tacked off. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we're joined today by Tony Ferrari, uh, managing editor and head of scouting at Dauber Prospects. Uh, No hair, but full of incredible draft uh, and prospect scouting knowledge. This is the most disoriented I've been for an intro, just because uh, that was hysterical. And uh, co-host of the Dauber Draftcast. Tony, uh, thanks for joining us and for putting up with our bullshit to start.
0: Oh, no, this is better than any start to my podcast that's ever happened. So I'm happy with this. (laughs)
1: Alright, uh, the Red Wings season has wrapped up, the U18s have wrapped up, and that's a little bit more of what we're going to talk to you about today. Um, obviously the theme within Red Wings fandom is looking towards the future, and this U18 tournament uh, has been the best look for better or for worse that hockey fans have had in in a long time at upcoming prospects so uh general overview of the tournament covering it uh taking a look at the players what are the you know themes or topics that came to mind for you tony
0: oh man my biggest thing with this one is the kids are great like the young guys are just awesome mitchkov right and bedard like right missing two games and still finishing only two points behind mitchkov for the tournament lead like wh- what would he have done if he had those two games right and i mean i, I think it's it's a, a, a evidence to this draft class not being as elite as we've seen in the last few years and, and we look t- at the next two drafts and those three guys are all in it so it, it's kind of a weird down year sandwiched into a couple sandwiched in between two really good years on both sides of it and I mean it was, uh, it was an up and down tournament certainly a lot of weird scores and weird games where like Sweden was being really good against everyone except for Canada where they looked like they were a, a country that's never played hockey before so it was a fun tournament. I think that's for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a tournament where it's good perspective for the upcoming draft because there were a couple first overall potentials: uh, Dylan Genther, Simon Edmondson, and they didn't even compare to the young guys. They they were in different leagues, but um, for this upcoming draft specifically, because we will talk about Bedard, Mitchkov, and right, but for this draft specifically, were there any? standouts guys that really elevated
0: their draft stock in your mind through this tournament i think mason mctavish is one of the guys that definitely kind of raises draft stock for me because coming into the year i had a lot of concerns with his foot speed and his pace and everything like that and over in uh, switzerland he looked great like his pace was up his speed was up he was playing center even over there and he looked really good, so I'm like, okay, this is going to be a good opportunity to see how he looks, and in my opinion, outside of Wright and Bedard, he was the best Canadian on the ice almost every night. It it was really fun to watch him play. He was, I mean, he got to see the the games at Wright was out, so it was nice to see that as well, but um, even a few other guys, like uh, Samu uh, Tuomala, uh, Vili Koivinen on Finland. Both of those two, I think, ra- raised their draft stock because I think with Tuamala, we all saw, we everyone kind of was like, Oh man, this guy's a shooter and he's not much else. And he ended up with five goals and six assists in the tournament. And it, I mean, some of the assists came right at the end of games to, to win the game, basically setting up guys like, uh, Samu Salman and stuff. And Vili Koivinen just quietly had a really, really good tournament. Uh, I think there, there's a few guys that definitely raised their stock, but, uh, the one I, I want to talk about the most is Fedor Svechkov, the Russian uh, center. This guy's been kind of rising up boards all year long, and this was a, a bit of his coming out party. He had ten points in seven games. Uh he wasn't the Russian leading scorer. He was fourth on the Russian team in scoring, actually, behind Mishkov, Chibrikov, and Danila Yurov, who's eligible next year as well. But the the impact Svechkov has on the game at both ends of the ice is just so ridiculous. Like every one of his points was started from the defensive end. He made a really good defensive read, or he intercepted a puck, or he just won a battle, moved up the ice and and somehow got in on the scoring. Like he he's just such a fun player at both ends of the ice. He's almost like a poor man's Anton Lindell from last year. And I, I think there's more offense to be there. And I think this tournament kind of showed that against when he's not playing in the KHL or the VHL, he is able to kind of take over a shift and dominate a bit.
2: All right. That's enough
0: optimism. was the guy that disappointed you the most? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's the guy you mentioned Dylan Genther. Like he, he had a decent tournament. I don't think he had a bad tournament by any means. Um, like, it, it was just kind of there he he wasn't bad in, at any t- point but like there was missed opportunities like i go back to i think the first game of the tournament where he's driving at the net right at the start of the game and you're like oh this is good this is definitely in and he just chips it wide and, and it was a lot of that it was just a lot of missing his mark not being out there and, and i think this kind of exposed some of his issues too that i've been kind of not necessarily harping on but when people kind of say he's the second overall pick or a first overall challenger i, I look at him and i go okay but like there, there's pace issues with his game and there's not necessarily processing issues but he doesn't do everything at a high speed like some of these other high-end prospects like I, I mentioned Mason McTavish earlier who's not the most fleet of foot but he processes the game at such a high speed it d- he doesn't need to be that fleet of foot whereas Dylan Genther has that ability to kind of get that extra gear in his skating but it just seemed off all tournament long and I mean it- it's hard to crap on a guy when he was like two points a game at the, the WHL level prior to this but yeah he was the one guy that I think I looked at it and I'm like, man, I wish you kind of had a better tournament.
2: So one guy I want to talk about who I already mentioned briefly because to me, he's such a fascinating prospect and that's Simon Edvinson um, because by most accounts, he had a fairly solid tournament, if unspectacular, quiet but effective. He hasn't had the production in Sweden that most people would hope from him, but because he's so big and so smooth that he gets... You know, all these favorable comparisons to already top NHL defensemen, but he hasn't quite put it all together. So now that we've had a full season from him and a showcase tournament with him as a
0: primary piece, where where is your stance on him right now? I think my stance on him is basically where it was before the tournament. He's a guy that I probably have just outside my top 10. Um I think he's one of the most mis- misunderstood prospects in this entire draft class. So many people look at his skating and his ability to kind of push push up ice a little bit at the junior levels and whatnot, and they think he's an offensive defenseman. I I don't think he's that at all. I think he's a good transition player. I think he's a guy that if he can make the right decisions with the puck, he's going to be able to make the passes up ice. But he's not a guy I really love in the offensive zone by any means. I think he's he shows a lot more traits defensively that that I like than than on the offensive end of the ice and. Uh, that's a little bit weird to say after a tournament where like he had a couple of games where he looked absolutely terrible defensively especially specifically against canada but he he's a guy that i think he has a lot of the tools he can make the passes he can move the puck with his feet he's an excellent skater like you said he's so smooth but there's refinement in his decision making that i think needs to happen especially when he's moving the puck up by it's like he he there's just so many times where he'll have all this room in the world and instead of passing it to an outlet he just fires it in the offensive zone and ends up losing it because he just dumps it in and, and no one's really attacking with speed or anything except for him so it's he's an interesting prospect i think he's a guy that the the potential's there to be one of the better defensemen in this draft but i think you look at guys like brant clark uh even owen power who i'm not the biggest fan of who wasn't at this tournament but like luke hughes who was supposed to be here i, I think all those guys for me are just a, a tier above him in in terms of combining that raw ability with the, the ability to kind of think the game at that level.
2: Actually, I'm glad you brought up the one name there because I did want to touch on him. Um, and that's Brant Clark. Cause he might be to me, the single most fascinating prospect in this draft. He, he might be the smartest hockey player in the draft, highest hockey IQ good hands can read the play we we all know his strengths but his skating is just so awkward and his fundamentals uh, in his skating are so bad to put it lightly Uh, but (laughs) do you think there is what is brant clark's ultimate ceiling here can his skating be fixed can he just adapt to be fast enough at the nhl even with his
0: wonky stride where do we see him going from here I think he's probably the best defenseman in this draft right now. I think as we kind of look at everything that we've seen so far from every, all these guys, he's the one that I have most faith in, in translating at this, at this point. I think Owen Power, of course, everyone's going to want him because of his size, his skating and stuff, but he, he's a little bit like Edmondson where you have that decision making worry. Whereas with Brent Clark, like you said, he's so extremely smart. Um, one of the things that I really liked when I, when I interviewed him on my podcast is, we were talking about his adjustment to Slovakia and, and the, the play over there. And he was saying that the thing is, it wasn't him that had to be the one that uh, did all the adjusting. He needed his teammates to adjust as well, because in, in Slovakia, he was having everyone come, everyone, four players would be back in the defensive zone when he's got the puck behind his net. And he's like, guys go like, I'll hit you with the pass. Like, I'm not going to turn it over in, in that adjustment. And that aggressiveness was like, he, he knew he needed to get that because he's not going to change his style of play just because, they want to play this uber conservative game where they don't score at all. He wanted to try to push the pace and he did a really good job with that over there. And as his play kind of improved over there, he he started rising up boards again because people soured on him, especially because of that skating. And, and with the skating, I he he's mobile. I I look at I I've stopped kind of grading skating as a whole I, I i started to grade mobility especially last year because you look at a guy like Cole perfetti for instance he wasn't a great skater either and and he was just always so in the right spot he was able to get to his spots he was mobile enough to overcome the wonky skating stride and i think Brandt clark is very much like that uh there was one clip i think dylan krill posted about uh brant clark skating where he ended up just like sidestepping all the way across his own blue line right off the face off in the in the middle of the ice and moving up ice with with ease and, and there was no issue with it and i think yeah, it looks really awful. Like it, it looks like I'm out there skating and it's not good at all. So there's, there's going to be things that you can clean up with his stride. And I think you can do that. He's a little bit knock kneed, which is going to be another issue that he's going to have to kind of deal with and, and show that he can kind of overcome. But man, like this kid's mobility and his smarts are, are just so good and, and combining with the skill and the, 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 just the offensive aggression, like this kid really does have a chance to be a, a number one defenseman. And there's not many guys in this draft that I think have that opportunity.
2: All right, so I'm going to give you uh, one more chance in this draft to gush before uh, Ryan will talk about the futures here. But um, given that the Red Wings have this habit of uh, shooting up the standings at the worst point in the season, <laughs> um, we're, we're now looking at mainly prospects between the 6 to 12 range for the Red Wings and their likely pick because God knows we're not getting any lottery help. One player I see consistently in that range outside of your rankings, of course, is Fabian Lucelle. So please enlightened Red Wings fans make the
0: pitch for Fabian Lucelle. Do you like good players who are very fun? Then you like Fabian Lucelle. Like this kid is just, he's an energy ball. Like you, you just start him up and he goes and he, he's so energetic in all, in all three zones. He's so good at just being so deceptive with the puck on his stick. Like, the, the pace this kid plays at is, it's like he's playing his first shift of the game every shift he plays. It's incredible that he's able to kind of keep that pace up. in the skill level is incredibly high. Like, I look at his situation in, in Lucas Raymond's situation last year, and you guys are pretty intimately familiar with that, where he didn't get much playing time, and, and that suffered his, his point totals, and, and Fabian Laisal, same thing. He got traded mid-season from, for Lunda's organization to Lulio, and, I uh, started playing the SHL when he got to Lulio and in the first few games, it was fine. Like he was getting 12, 13, 14 minutes. And that's great. Like that's right around that Alexander Holtz range from last year. And then as the playoffs started to get closer and things started to get more important, the coaches kind of peeled them back and he started getting four or five minutes a game. And, and that wasn't uh, super beneficial for him. But when, when you watch him on, on an individual basis and you really key on him, he's doing so many things right. And, and one of the things that he suffered from was playing on that fourth line in in lulio was because there there's so i have so many clips on my computer where he's just he's doing the right thing he drives through the lane or he, he gets into space where he's perfectly open and the guy just rings it around the boards or something and it's like I, I hate blaming teammates because it's just it feels like an excuse but like i said this last year with lucas raymond too i'm like next year we're looking back on this draft and, and it's going to be perfectly justifiable that lucas raymond went fourth overall i i still had him th- i read i had him rank third last year and fabian Lysel is going to be really high on my board again he'll probably be in the top three or four no matter what and i i had him at number one on my mid-season rankings and i mean you catch me on the right day and he's going to be at number one again like it, it's just one of those things where with so much wide open at the top of this draft the incredible skill pace and i, I think fabian Lysell is the best skater in this draft class especially from the forward group it, he's just so it's off his edges just agility he's able to shift his weight like no one else in this draft of any position and it's just really impressive to see him cut in and out of traffic with defenders that are 25 30 years old and he's just able to get by them and yeah there's a bit of a finishing issue because he's 18 17 in in the shl but man the process is there and it's one of those things where with the wings in the position they're in now that they're continuously winning games and moving up the standings, it's it's going to be one of those things where if the wings are sitting there at eight or something and Fabian Lysel is the guy and, and guys like Eklund and Berniers and uh, Wallstead are are gone, then I, I think Fabian Lysel might be the best option because you he's one of the only Fords in this draft class that I, I look at and I go, there's top line upside there because not many guys in this class have that. So um, I'm going to move us away
1: from the 2021 draft a little bit here. Uh, Red Wings fans are exhausted and tired of being in the rebuild. And so, of course, we're going to be talking about the next draft and then the draft after <laughs> that, because, you know, we're masochists. Um, Shane Wright, Michkov, Bedard, how head and shoulders above – the draft prospects in 2021 are these guys like what are you looking at here i'm not going to ask you to make draft comparables because i hate doing those but how aggressive would you tank for the first overall pick in 22 or 23 i guess is a better way of framing it
0: if i was told i can draft any of these three guys now and i still have to wait till their 18 year old season to get into the nhl i would still draft them one two and three like they're they're just even even if i had to wait two years for bedard and Michkov. I mean, Mitch Cox is going to be a longer wait because he signed in Russia for long term. I think it's 2025. So he's going to end up being the second overall pick that year, I bet. But he, he's got the talent to to be better than Bedard. Like he was better than Bedard at this tournament. Yes, he's a little older as well. But I think those two are going to be really, really special talents. And and Shane Wright is just a guy that impresses me every time I watch him. Like you, you expect him to be a little rusty because he didn't play anything this season up until this tournament. Like he, he has played no competitive games since last year with Kingston and coming into this tournament, two short two games short of, of Bedard's uh, game games play total because he was out with an injury for two games, still matches point total. I uh, had nine goals in the tournament like this. This kid's just ridiculously talented. Like, I, I don't know who who I would take out of the three of them because they're also just ridiculously skilled. But man, like whoever gets those first that first pick next year and the first two picks. Uh, in 23, like they're they're going to be getting a player that's going to change their franchise, and I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you just love to see it in Detroit? They they've suffered long enough after this uh this this next year of getting an eighth overall pick yet again, unless they banish the draft lottery. Don't worry (laughs) that
2: we 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 don't have to worry about that. But um, because following up with these guys with Shane Wright, we'll we'll talk about him because he's the next one that's draft eligible and. Yeah, by all accounts, the Red Wings are still going to be terrible next year. He's a fascinating study because he is so effective and so good, but you can't really look at just one skill of his and go, "Yeah, that's that's it. He's he's elite because of this." Like with McDavid, we know his skating's otherworldly, Ovechkin, his shot, so on and so forth. But Shane Wright doesn't have that one trait. So, what is it that makes him? maybe the best prospect we've seen since Connor mcdavid
0: i think he's just the smartest player on the ice every time he's out there like it's just one of those things where w- with shane right like i did a a piece on him after his rookie season in the ohl where i compared his season to to john Tavares's record-breaking season for an exceptional status player and i mean i guess bedard's kind of broken that now based on points percentage and stuff like that but like john Tavares had an incredible 15 year old season in the ohl with the generals and i think when you look at back and, and you go okay like uh Shane Wright had as good a season as as Connor McDavid as a 15 year old he's he had almost as good a season as John Tavares and I think he has a lot of those Tavares qualities where you look at Tavares and like with Tavares he's not a great skater still even to this day he's not a great skater Shane Wright doesn't have that he is a very good skater he's maybe the best 15 year old of any player that I've seen on the defensive end of the ice like this kid's just so mature at both ends and he like there's a reason he was captain of this team as a 16 year old i guess he's 17 now but like as a draft draft minus one player he he's just so like i i, I keep going back to the word mature but his, his intellect and his ability to just break things down on the ice and diagnose the play and, and then just win win the battle when he needs to and then he has all the op like the requisite skill to be a superstar player he's got the ridiculous shot he's got the ability to feather a pass through traffic like the things he sees on the ice are things that scouts don't see on the ice. And that's kind of, that's a really special thing to have.
1: Sorry, Tony Um, regarding the U18 tournament in general, obviously it's been a weird year of, we've seen some players and prospects play more than others sometimes, or some players, you know, like you mentioned with Wright, this was the first time we really saw them on the ice in a meaningful way in a long time. And some guys didn't even get to come to the tournament as someone who scouts, how much of a factor do you think confirmation bias is going to have Uh, In this upcoming draft, are guys going to be taken higher up the board? Not just because of exposure bias, but also because scouts feel more comfortable or secure in them versus you know watching tape that might be a little bit
0: older they weren't able to attend. Is that going to be a big factor? I think it's going to be. I think when you look at everything that's gone on this year, and and for the most part, everyone's played at least a few games, and that's the, the really nice thing. It's the OHL guys that are suffering guys like Wyatt Johnson and and Brett Harrison and I mean some of these guys did go over to Europe and play so like Brett Brett, or Brent Clark, Brett Harrison, uh, Carson Lambos went over to Europe earlier this year so even though he didn't play the WHL season we still got to see him play so those guys I think are going to be fine I think it's the guys like Ben Goudreau Canada's goalie like we have five games on him this year four games on him whatever he played at this tournament and that's all we have and yeah we have some of the tape from last year and even I've gone back and watched some of that and like he he had some big performances. So how how highly do you rank him compared to a guy like Sebastian Cosa, who tore up a, a pretty crappy division in in the WHL this year? Um, it's going to be interesting to see where a lot of these guys go because this tournament might have been that one one thing to see these guys. And I mean, if a, if a scout was already really high on on say Ben Goudreau and they see him play at this tournament, he, by all counts, he he had a great tournament. Do you draft him in the second round? Is he a guy that you consider that high? Because he does have the pedigree. He had I think in his last six starts last year, he had four fifty plus save performances. Like it was ridiculous. I watched him lose a game four uh four three last year to Windsor when he had fifty-eight saves. Like, that's just stupid. Like this kid is really good, but we've seen four games from him this year, so how much can you trust that? And I, I think it is gonna play a factor. Um like i said the, the kids who went over to europe it's it's great that we got extra uh, extra games of them even if it was only 15 20 games but man like there, there are going to be guys like ryan winterton who was at this tournament who just didn't have a standout tournament by any means he wasn't bad by any means but he was on the fourth line the entire tournament he didn't get much opportunity to actually do anything and, and we don't have an ohl season to judge him off of so do do we go back to his 15 year old season or a 16 or 16 year old season sorry and kind of judge off that and how much do you how much can you really project so i, I think this is going to be one of those years where i think we might end up seeing a little bit less ohl players drafted and i've talked to other scouts and they said the same thing and then when we do get to the next year i wouldn't be shocked to see a lot of ohl players drafted especially overage kids like i'm not going to be shocked at all if a guy like ethan del mastro i mean i i think he'll get drafted like he's a really good prospect but a, a guy in his situation where he's only played this tournament or he hasn't played at all doesn't get drafted jack matcha like played defense at this tournament was kind of the seventh defenseman all tournament does he get drafted this year does some team decide hey i'm going to take a flyer in the sixth seventh round if not then maybe he gets drafted in the second round next year after a good overage season and he just gets drafted as an overager like that's going to be a big thing i think for next year's draft and this year i think you got to focus on the players that did play and and unless it's a guy that you really have faith in like for me, it would be Wyatt Johnson or Ben Goudreau. Then I'd probably avoid the OHL this year just because of not having seen a lot of those guys play.
3: Tony, I want to ask you about um, a player that if I don't ask you or we don't ask you, our Swedish mafia would uh, would end the podcast. So <laughs> I want to ask you about Jesper Wallstedt. Um Is he this year's Askarov, Spencer Knight? Like, what what's your take on him?
0: I love Wallstep more than I've loved any goalie I've ever watched in my entire life. Like I, I have him in, in the top tier with, with Matthew Baneers, William Eklund and Fabian Lysel. And I don't think it's particularly close after that. Like for me, those three guys, or those four guys, sorry, have broken off into a, their, their own tier of their own at the top of my board. And yes, for has been the one guy outside of Matthew Baneers that's been there all year. The, the way this guy plays, he's just so technically sound. Like, there, there is, there's an element with goaltenders where I think you can, you don't have to be a goal, goalie guy to watch a guy like Jesper Walstad and go, oh sh- crap, he's really good. Like, I, he, there, there was an air of calmness when you watched Henrik Lundqvist play in, in New York, and, and Jesper Walstad brings that same exact thing. Um, I, I don't think he plays in the cre- back in his net as much as as much as Henrik Lundqvist, but he does play that style. He's he's a very conservative, just controlled goalie who. Plays a pro game, and we've never seen a goalie play a full season in the SHL like he did this year. It's just not a thing that's happened. And, and the numbers he put up were really, really impressive. I think Jesper Wallstedt. I mean, if a team gets crazy, like he's worthy of the first overall pick this year. And uh, no team's going to do that because goalies don't get drafted that high. And I think Jesper Wallstedt probably doesn't end up falling to that 8 to 12 range, similar to the way Askarov fell last year. But if I'm ranking those three guys, I have Knight and Askarov, and then Wallstead's above both of them. It, 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 for me, it's as clear as day with those three.
3: Yeah, I have a really hard time watching goalie prospects and saying, oh, this guy's better than this goalie, blah, 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 blah. Like, what? I, I just don't really see a difference between the Askarov, Wallstead, and Knight. Like, they both, all three of them are were unreal at their draft age. Like, What's different between Wallstead and Askarov or Knight? Like, what's what's the what makes them sort of the can't miss goalie prospect for and draft them or Walstead, You know, in the five to one range compared to Askarov and uh, and Knight.
0: I think with Knight we see we see a nice balance of athleticism and and technical skill. Um, we're seeing that now. He's playing NHL games this year, even like he's done a really good job of being able to make that big save coming out of his tech technical form and everything, but still being able to control his movement and not overslide to the sides and stuff like that. And, and with Askarov, it's, it's not that he's very, just much athletic. He is very much the guy that's going to make every save look like a beauty, even if it's just a routine glove saver, save into the chest. A lot of times he he's maybe the most athletic goaltender I've ever seen. And and that leads to some mistakes sometimes. And, and, and he's going to be the guy I think that we see with maybe a Bobrovsky type Career where he's winning the Vesna one year and then he's a league average goalie the next. And and maybe if you give him end up giving him big money in a system that doesn't play the greatest defense like Florida, you're gonna end up with a bad goalie over the time. But with with Wallstedt, the thing that I love about him is just he's so refined in his movement. And in a lot of times when you describe a goalie as robotic, people take that as a negative, but it, it's just it's almost like systematic the way he he plays in net. The way he comes off his post, the way he integrates with his post, like the way he's moving laterally, he's challenging shooters. It, it's at a level that you you don't see until they're in the NHL and they're really good goalies in the NHL, and he's doing it already. As a, I mean, he was doing it last year as a sixteen year old. Like uh, the stuff he's doing at the SHL level this year, it, it's impressive because like Fabian Lysel w- got sent over to Lulio, and, and he played with the Esper Wallstedt, so I, I watched that team a lot. And I'm gonna be honest with you, their defense is pretty. Pretty reminiscent of Detroit's defense this year. It's not great. So uh Yes for Wallstatt was standing on his head a lot of nights, and uh you look at his save percentage, you look at his, his goals against average, you look at some of the numbers that uh Instat has where it's goals save above average and everything. And this guy's just ridiculously above average in, in every level, like in every area. The one area that he does seem to struggle with and he does have a little bit of an issue with is uh second chance opportunities, but I mean Every goalie has an issue with that. Like, that's not a thing that any goalie is necessarily strong at. So, I think if, if you've got a guy like Wallstedt and you put him in a system where you have developing defenders like Moritz Sider and uh, Philip Ronick and Dennis Schlowski, maybe one day, and, and all these different guys that are coming up, you're going to have something there because this guy is able to just shut things down and, and bring. The thing I love about him is he just brings an air of calm to the team. Like anytime the puck goes back in your own zone, you, you know, you don't have to worry. And, and you look at goalies around the league this year and Frederick Anderson or a- anybody in, in any of these North division teams, really, you're worried every time the puck goes back there because who knows who's going to stop, make the save. And with Jesper Walstad, I think you, you do get that Henrik Lundqvist effect where you just go, man, like you, you, you're trusting your, goalie to make the save so your defenseman can make that jump you're you, you can get that fourth fourth player up in the rush and stuff and, and you don't have to worry as much and the, just the way he's able to stay calm in net stay controlled in net and he he never really seems to be out of position it, it, it's pretty incredible to watch Tony
1: this uh draft obviously we, we've referenced this a lot there's no Shane Wright there's no Meechkoff there's no Bedard there's no no head and shoulders above the rest you can make a case for a lot of guys um I think we've done this exercise before where I've made you Steve Eisman but you're Steve Eisman and you have anywhere from the first to th- first or second pick. Do you draft based on who you think the best player available is, or is this a close enough draft within the top 10 or so where you pick a mix between best player available in the positions that you really need? For example, center
0: or goalie. I, I think with this draft, if you have the first or second overall pick, I think you can justify taking uh Matthew benears pretty easily like the, the guy is so complete he's so like ready to be a pro and I I think you give him another year I, I think every player in this draft you give him another year like my my biggest worry is someone drafts Owen Power and throws him in the NHL next year because I think he does have the ability to be one of those really really special special players but uh, he's going to need some development he's he needs some time and um for me the the two guys that I look at if I'm drafting first or second overall And I'm kind of not wanting to throw the big risk and draft Lysel and go for that upside because I I think Lysel has a big range. He could be a fourth, fourth line energy guy, or he could be a first line scoring winger. That's putting up 70 points, 70, 80 points. But the the two guys for me are Matthew Beneers and William Eklund. And I mean, Eklund can play center. I know there's a few people who think he's going to play center. I think he's a winger personally, but with him and Beneers, I think you're going to get an NHL player. That's going to play in your top six, pretty much guaranteed. Like, and that's not something we have a lot in this draft. So I think those are two safe guys. I think those are two really productive guys that we've seen. And for me right now, I'm probably leaning William Eklund if I have the number one pick, but man, either of those two, I, I'd have no issue taking. Jesper Wallstedt's right in that conversation. I think y- Jesper Wallstedt has to be in the conversation, especially for a team like Detroit. Um, and then, I mean, Steve Eisman's a wild man. Like maybe he does go wild and, and take Fabian Lysel. Maybe he, he decides to do something like that. But I, I think, Matthew Benares and, and uh, Willie Mecklen are the two guys I'd probably target right at the top.
1: All right, Tony, um, there's going to be so much more draft content to come. We are going to be having you back on. Maybe we have you on. Yeah, let's get Tony on for one of the mock drafts. What are we doing? Oh, uh, yeah, let's go. Yeah, um, We're looking forward to having you back on. Everyone, Tony Ferrari, I have to say one of the most dedicated, uh, knowledgeable and uh easiest follows to make on Twitter. Uh, Your coverage of the U18s and prospects everywhere has been phenomenal. Having you on the show is a treat. So if you guys don't follow Tony, uh, please do. He's on to bigger and better things. Uh, We always tell Tony, don't forget us when you make it big. Uh, And as long as you're not working for a NHL team, we're going to keep having you on the show. So thank you for for joining us, uh, Tony. And until next time.
0: Yeah, no problem, guys. I enjoy coming on. And I mean, I I put my Wing Wheel podcast shirt on and nothing else. I'm completely naked aside from that. So... (laughs) I'm sad that the camera didn't work, but I mean, it's probably best for the viewer anyways. Uh, there would have been some copyright infringement. I think Evan has that look
1: tacked down, so uh, <laughs> you guys can duke it out for that. <laughs> All right. Take care, man. All right. Have a good one, bud. Welcome back. That was our interview with Tony Ferrari. Tony, thank you so much for joining the show. Um, I really mean it when I say it's been a treat to watch Tony you know, move through the ranks of, of prospect scouting. He's such a great resource and a friend to have for the show honestly so uh props to him for sticking through it i have a lot of sympathy for people who've been doing the scouting thing over this past year like how hard must that have been like for us it's like yeah it's been a lot harder but then we just focus more on red wings content that's happening now and uh they don't really have that option so good on him for for doing red wings content is the draft (laughs) brian yeah that's a really good point it has been made a touch more difficult uh hey speaking of red wings content um, I got a box of jerseys that Rowan actually has helped me procure it over the past couple of years. It finally came my way. So I now have a Centennial Classic jersey. I now have another uh, uh Wrigley Field Winter... Cl- Is it Wrigley Field? No. The Toronto Winter Classic jersey uh, at the Big House. Um Not Toronto's jersey, but the game against Toronto. And I have another just Red Wings Away jersey from way back to put up there. You guys haven't seen the jerseys up on the wall in the studio because... You know, the virus. But someday soon.
2: Uh, Yeah, the world ending kind of threw a wrench in that. I'm pretty sure I own one of the jerseys (laughs) on that wall, actually. Yeah, you do. Now that I remember that. Yeah,
1: I think the Zetterberg is yours. Thank you for your Um, donations. Perfect. Was going to hang it in Hank's room, but yeah, never mind. What does he need it for? (laughs) Stupid kids. They get everything. Uh, News around the NHL before jumping into overtime here. Uh, Connor McDavid with four games left to go. Jesus Christ yeah uh, no, his name's actually Connor McDavid. It's a common mix up. uh no, no, it's not <laughs> four games left to go in the season. He has ninety six points That is insane in and of itself. He needed four points in those four games total to hit one hundred on the season. He got all of them in his fifty third game <laughs> It is I think the single greatest point perform single greatest season in terms of uh raw numbers that we've seen in the modern era of the nhl or at least one of them one of the greatest performances of all time you have to look back at the gretzky lemieux years before I, th- I think you find anything that matches this
2: he's gonna be he's almost at two points per game if he doesn't get another point the rest of the season. It's still damn near two points per game, which is insane in the modern NHL. And I don't want to hear any of this crap. Oh, but he plays in the North Division. Yeah, so do six other teams and the rest of his team. And none of them are doing anything like this. Yeah, Austin Matthews has a ton of goals. But that's because Austin Matthews is a generational goal scorer. What? Stop trying to take away from what McDavid's doing. Because I see those tweets and you're all wrong. It's insane. He's the fastest kid alive. He is the best hockey player we've seen since Gretzky retired, maybe, honestly. Him him or Crosby, there isn't really anybody else in that discussion. Um, although, based on that conversation with Tony, there's a few guys who might have something to say about that in a few years. Oh, but, <laughs> slow down, Brad. <laughs> no, they're not getting there. They're not getting there. Nobody's McDavid. They're not that fast. But um, it, like I can't wrap my head around it. In today's NHL... Like I feel like Connor McDavid actually hold on. I'm gonna look up something really quickly because I just had it open here. Uh gotta scroll down a bit. Ah, yes. Connor McDavid has contributed on twenty seven less goals than the Detroit Red Wings have total goals. And he still has three games left.
1: Then the Detroit Red Wings have Connor total McDavid- goals. That's he has twenty seven yeah. fewer that he's actually contributed to.
2: Yeah, he has 100 points. The Detroit Red Wings, over the full season, scored 127 goals. That's that's nuts. That is batshit bonkers. What the hell crazy. Uh, you can say, you can make fun of the Red Wings for how bad they are all you want. The fact that one player is almost keeping up with an entire NHL team is staggering.
1: In his last 10 games, he had no points once. He had... Uh, One point, no times. He had two points once. He had three points. One, two, three, four, five. And he had four points three times. Four, three, two, four, three, zero, three, four, three, three. That is... What a finish to the... This guy, like, he is... I talk a lot about Sidney Crosby. He is Neo
2: and we are all in the Matrix.
1: Yeah, yeah. The things he does at the speed he does it. I talk a lot about Sidney Crosby. I have a lot of admiration for what he's done in this era of the NHL. I think Crosby at his peak was quite obviously the best player in the world and he held that title for a long time. He's the best player of his generation. He's way higher in the all-time charts than people give him credit for. I don't know if McDavid at the end of his career will be considered better than Crosby. I have still never seen any player in my life do things that Connor McDavid does at the speed he does them. If he made those moves alone, like at a regular speed, he would still be the best player in the world. And he does it at literally the fastest pace you'll ever find an NHL player play. I'm not sure we'll ever see it again. It is, he was made in a lab. He was made in a lab to be the fastest man alive. It is bonkers.
3: I think Connor McDavid is ready to be called up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whatever league is next he's i think he's earned the right the galactic super league yeah this the interstellar yeah. super league of- he's uh he'll
1: be a second line center on the first day and he'll be you know first line center for you know slagathor zorp by the end of the season <laughs> 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 that guy f- i'm sorry no it was stupid it was stupid but i went with it and i won't apologize again
3: I love it. Thanks. I love it. That's amazing. The fact that you could just come up <laughs> with a strange alien name. There probably is like some like Slovenian six, six division team, and they're like, you'll be t- you'll be hearing from our lawyers over that. We slander. actually do
2: yeah. googling this. I'm I'm diving in. How do you spell Slagathor?
1: Oh, it's with uh, letters that you can't pronounce. It's all it's all just hieroglyphs. Uh, we actually have some listeners from Slovenia. I always see it on our metrics. Um, anyhow the Connor mcdave every season people lo- love this exercise of taking uh the obvious pick and making a um a case for someone else who's not obvious for the heart trophy and a lot of the times it's fair game you know the heart trophy is a contentious award because a lot of people think that it should go to the most valuable player which isn't necessarily the best player and a lot of people vice versa the way the award is worded um seems to favor most valuable to their team but best player often people have a hard time not giving the heart to best player so people are going to take the absolute most obvious heart trophy pick in a long time in my mind and still make a case for other people and it just like what better way to show your ass it is totally fine it is totally fine to say Sidney Crosby or Austin Matthews are having phenomenal seasons and it's so heartbreaking that they won't be acknowledged because there's an aberrational amount of points being put up by Connor McDavid. But that's what has happened. He is the most valuable to his team. He is the best player in the world and he did have the best season. I just don't see how it's even a contest.
2: Because people overthink this. The- The fact that Leon Dreisaitl plays for the Oilers is going to throw a big wrench into everybody's argument. Oh, is he really the most valuable player to his team, as the definition of the award says? He has Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah, well, Austin Matthews has Mitch Marner and Sidney Crosby has Evgeny Malkin, so piss off. That's not even an argument. Um, You could almost make the case Dreisidel is actually the weakest of those three supporting players. I wouldn't put him there, but you could make the case. And Connor McDavid's contributed on I believe 58% of the goals the Edmonton Oilers have scored this year. I don't care what definition you use if you just give it to best player or most valuable to his team. It's Connor McDavid. I don't say this as a joke. If you take Connor McDavid off of the Edmonton Oilers, they are a lottery team right there with the Detroit Red Wings. Like Comfortably. He is that special and he means that much to that team.
1: I'm going to make a reference to formula one here and I'm really sorry. It's not, I know a lot of people don't care, but I know we have a lot of listeners who do watch F1. Uh, it, McDavid is akin to Lewis Hamilton. They're just on another level and having him on your team means you can do things that other teams can't. You can afford to have a terrible day on defense or a terrible day in net because you know, Connor McDavid is going to go out there and just push the goals button and put together goals, whether he's assisting them or he's the one sc- scoring them. Um, the same way Lewis Hamilton in formula one, he is such a phenomenal driver and the best car on the grid, mind you. But you know, there is a race today that he won because he is such a good driver, Mercedes had the option for this, you know, out of left field strategy that came through and worked, that pretty much he and maybe one other person in the world could have performed in a car. It, when you have the best athlete in their sport on the planet on your team, you can do things that other teams can't. And like Brad said, this is a team that is way worse without him. We're talking like people are getting fired in the offseason worse. They are not constructed like a Stanley Cup contender is traditionally constructed. But when you have Connor McDavid and then Leon Dreisaitl to boot, you can do things and you can win games when by all rights, if you look at everything outside those players, it's just not there. Uh, there were stats being talked about on Twitter. Like you would think McDavid's line mates also have a ton of points. They don't. It's McDavid Drysidle, big drop off. Like there's the in, in forward points. I think Tyson Berry is third on the Oilers in points, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's here's the horrifying
2: stat. So Leon Drysidle is second in NHL scoring behind Connor McDavid. Leon Drysidle is a great player, but a, a big reason that Drysidle is second in league scoring is Connor McDavid. So if we take Leon Drysidle out of the equation, The next closest players to Connor McDavid in the scoring race are Brad Marchand, who I don't think we're talking about enough for how good of a season he's having, and Mitch Marner, who have 67 points. Connor McDavid is 33 points clear of the field. What is anybody's argument that he's not the MVP? There is none. Insane. Anybody. And I, everybody's allowed to have their opinion. And even if I disagree with it, I, I can respect it. This is the one year, and I'm glad they make voting publicly now. Anybody that doesn't vote Connor McDavid for the heart should have their voting credentials revoked. Because you are just not fit. You are not watching the same sport as the rest of us if you put anybody but Connor McDavid at number one. I will hear an argument for Five players for number two on that list. There is no argument for number one.
1: All right. Let's jump into overtime, uh, which for the last time this season is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, who we have been so proud uh, to partner with as they bring uh, us more excitement and have brought us more excitement all year. They're America's number one sportsbook for so many reasons. Uh, And for the last time, guys, the FanDuel Sportsbook uh, picks – I don't know what we call it this segment, the FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, Brad, Ryan, and Evan pick, uh, their betting or pick their bets for the season or for the next couple days. And you guys decide whether you want to win or lose money with them. <laughs> it's a little bit, uh, wordy for the segment, but we'll roll with it. Um uh, okay. Let's take a look at some matchups. Edmonton visiting Montreal. Obviously Montreal is not under a ton of pressure, but they still technically are, um, interesting payouts this game edmonton is the favorite on the road minus 116 uh but montreal has a uh, minus 104 payout so not a lot of big money to to play there there's no real big underdog and the over under is set at five and a half and i think that's purely connor mcdavid's fault that the over is the favorite so what's your take there montreal's actually played
2: mcdavid tough this year montreal still has something to play for edmonton is locked into the two seed so I wouldn't even be surprised if Edmonton starts scaling back uh, McDavid's minutes to rest them for the playoffs here. So, and and we know what the rest of the Oilers look like. So I'll take Montreal here, and I'll I'll go with the under just because Montreal doesn't score a lot. So if they're even slightly able to contain McDavid, it'll probably hit the under.
1: I'm going to agree with you. Um, I'll still take the over. I think end of season. I think you can't discount Leon dry Even if they play McDavid 10 minutes, he will probably find a way to score two goals. So but I'll I'll go for Montreal and I'll go for the over here.
3: I'll take Edmonton just because of the segment we just had about Connor McDavid being the second coming of Christ. Um I don't really like Montreal's game right now. Uh they let in a lot of goals. They haven't been particularly good, um, so I'm going with Edmonton. and I'll take the over. All right,
1: Tampa Bay versus Florida, the Battle of Florida is going to be an incredible playoff series. Um, they're still facing off in the regular season. Florida is the favorite at home with the over under set at five and a half. With the over being the underdog, or sorry, the over being the favorite there for money. Um, what do you see? What do you think about this Battle of Florida?
2: Well, they played yesterday, and I think there was 142 penalty minutes in that game. So I am completely amped for the, uh, what do we call this, the Sunshine State Showdown? Yeah, that's not bad. Go with that. Go with that. All right. Uh, honestly, I think this is the playoff series I'm most looking forward to in the entire first round of the playoffs. These are two of the best teams in the NHL stuff first time they've ever played each other and they have real bad blood going right now uh i'll take the over for penalty minutes in the next game as for the game itself i i don't know this one's tough Tampa's is battling it right now i'll take i'll take florida with the under
1: uh, i'm gonna go florida as well and i think i'm gonna go with the under as well You know, maybe things are a little bit more muted uh, in terms of end of season. They want to rest these guys. They don't want these guys out there getting their butts kicked, only to be injured to play against the same team. So yeah, I'll I'll go with the boring one. I'll go with Florida and the under.
3: I have no idea who's starting for Tampa, but if it's Vasilevsky, I'm taking the under as per usual. Um, Florida's been the better team than Tampa lately, which is... I don't know if I've ever said that. Um... But I think I think Tampa will return to form now that they've got a little bit of fire in them after the the Royal Rumble they just ha- experienced. So I'll go with Tampa and the under.
1: All right. Um, as the playoffs this year are divisional seeding. So the first two rounds are going to be in, in division guaranteed. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. Uh, this one is almost the most likely second round matchup that you could possibly predict in the NHL. Colorado uh, visiting Vegas. Colorado, as the visitors, are the very slight under, or uh, favorite, sorry, minus 110 as opposed to Vegas' minus 106 payouts here. Uh, Over-under set at six even, with the uh, under being the favorite. How do you take a look at this, especially knowing that these players might be playing each other in a few weeks?
2: Uh, First of all, I will not tolerate this Minnesota Wild Erasure, but anyways, I'll go with your narrative. I mean, to me, Colorado should be the favorite. They seem like an absolute buzzsaw this year, and the underlying analytics say Colorado is the buzzsaw we think they are. Um, they haven't exactly been out playing Vegas lately, but I think getting close to the playoffs, we're going to see them ramp it up. So I'll take Colorado, but I'm going
1: to stay with the under on this one. I'm gonna go with Vegas here. You know, both teams are on win streaks, but Vegas is eight and two in their last ten. Um, they're coming in at home. I'll go with Vegas in the under here. Uh, I think they'll they'll lock the game down and they'll squeak out a tight win.
3: Uh, McKinnon is injured right now with a lower body injury, so I'm taking Vegas all day on that one. Um, even though Colorado has an ultra deep team when you're missing a guy like McDavid or a, well, yeah, if you're missing a guy like McDavid and McKinnon and or McKinnon, uh, the nights, the games get a little bit more difficult. Um, so, yeah, I like Vegas, and I think I'll take the under on this one, too.
1: All right, guys, the FanDuel Sportsbook. Be sure to download the app to get started with a risk free bet of up to $1,000. Be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel Podcast sent you. FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is not withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanDuel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call one 800 4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, one 800 with it in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline, Line, 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right, let's wrap up with some uh, overtime questions here. Uh, we're going to start with Cody Stark cody says elephant in the room what is rick zombo's noses wwp prize for winning winning the fantasy hockey league uh cody won one of the two we are going to be uh addressing the fantasy hockey winners haven't actually had a time to look uh at what happened in our league but congratulations to the winners katie thank you for destroying me in the semifinals. um you'll have a choice of a few different prizes we're gonna leave it open for you um just to see which one you like the most but it will be good Rick uh, Choate says, let's get spicy. Hypothetically, what would Eisman have to do to warrant ever being fired as GM? I think if it's five years from now and Detroit is still in the basement, that's probably... Yeah.
2: Zero playoff appearances for a full decade will do that. So I think five years is generous, but he's got more leash than your typical NHL GM would. And it also depends too, like, you know, if the last two seasons all their top players get hurt or their goalies melt down, then there might be a bit of
1: rope, but yeah, I'll say five years of nothing. Um, let me just pull up the next one here. Michael Berry says, I just wanted to thank you guys. you made the season bearable while watching boring hockey, uh, with the wings finishing strong and the likelihood of top prospects playing next year, would you be upset if the wings bring in Jack Johnson or Cody CC to improve our odds at Shane, Wright?"
2: I was wondering where you were going with that. Uh yeah, I'd have a
1: major problem with that. I do not want Mosider learning from either of those two. <laughs> Uh, ruthless and toothless as perfect scenario wing for next year wings improve exciting to watch but lose a shit ton of games even though it wasn't a great year it's what we fully expected it's always sad when the season ends it's nice to have a wings game to watch when you have time settle in and grab a scotch or three scream why at the tv and even if uh even if we know they're going to lose i've been a wings fan for 30 plus years and while it remains a game it's more than that it's a passion cheers guys thank you for all your hard work until next season stay safe thank you ruthless and toothless everett Everett Johnson says, after watching what Connor McDavid uh, has done this season, I thought, how cool would it have been to be a generational talent? Then I remembered who it would have been to draft me uh, in my draft year, the Islanders. Maybe anesthesia wasn't a bad choice after all. If you had had been drafted first overall in your draft year, what team would you have played for? What was my draft year? Ew.
2: Ew. I would be a Pittsburgh Penguin.
1: How do you calculate your NHL draft year?
2: whatever you're a late birthday so whatever year you turned that would be turned 19 i believe 19 yeah because i'm in 87 so i was crosby's year and i was not a late
3: birthday oh Um, no oh no is it who would you'd go first oh i'd go to you would would be a tampa i'd be tampa bay lightning
1: I'd be Columbus, Ohio. No. Oh, that <laughs> Wait, how No, how would you be Columbus? Rick Nash in 2 Oh no, I'm being stupid. <laughs> yeah, 02. you you were like 9 years old,
2: you dumbass.
1: <laughs> oh uh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, I need to sleep.
1: At, you, okay. I I'd go to Edmonton. I will do the uh, 2012. Yeah, that was the nail yeah, Ryan, the pop whoo.
2: draft. Okay, so you that might have been an upgrade for them, honestly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, do they need a defenseman who can't do shit? That would have been me.
0: Apparently,
1: I can't do math either. I'd pick my nine-year-old draft year. What a phenom I am at <laughs> Columbus. <laughs> Jesus.
3: So Evan Depp- His father still ties his skates, but he's got great upside.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I need sleep. <laughs> oh, shit. Tony says, uh, if Eisman doesn't sign enough free agents in the offseason to roster a complete team next year, and assuming we don't sign certain UFAs like uh, Helm, Phil Plistall, et etc., what current Griffins who haven't played in the NHL this year do we think we could see on the opening day roster? Uh, that haven't played in the
2: NHL this year? Honestly, none. Like, real outside chance at Joe Hicketts? He's probably the best bet. Um. God, yeah, I'm struggling. Maybe Dominic Turgeon, but I don't think that's happening. Yeah, my my guess would be none. But
1: Wesley Livesay says with another year in the books, I was wondering if he had any specific thoughts on Zadina's first full time season. Got a ton of first line minutes uh, with all the injuries, but didn't have much to work with. He's a fair fit, a fair bit below half a point per game. Is that chalked up to inexperience, questionable offensive skill of some of the other forwards, or just where he should be? I'll say Zadina had a good year overall. I think he was one of Detroit's best players consistently. Um, the production wasn't there. Some of that is luck. Some of that is a lack of talent around him. And some of that is he needs to refine a little bit of his finishing abilities, I'll say. Um, I still stand by my statement that goal scorers often create their own luck. And that's a very generalized statement. But it's nothing to be concerned about in my mind. I thought we saw the steps we needed to from Zadina. This entire hockey team was schemed defensively this year. No one had outstanding offensive production except for Verana, who already came in at the point where the Red Wings were say, we're, "We're in. Fuck it, we'll do a live mode." Right? Like, I'm not too pressed about who didn't produce this year. So we saw the fundamental steps in Zadina's game. So yeah, I'm pretty pleased. Um, Moritz Sider, Spider-Man 2 says, Taro Hirose should absolutely play in the bottom six next year. He's one of the Griffins' best players and can find passing lanes better than half of Detroit's current roster. Also, he's a cheap cap hit and moderately good-looking. Win, win, win. Agreed. Uh, Callan S says, would you take torts for five years if line A came in the package? Okay. Uh, oh. if they got line A for free, yeah. But if Detroit had to give up an a- Are we... Al-
2: yeah. Do we have to keep torts for five years or we have to give him a five-year contract? Cause that's two different answers. <laughs> Cause, Cause if we, if we can fire him and just eat the money, but we get a free Patrick line, I, I of course I'm going to do that. If you try torts for two, three years, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But yeah, I, I probably
1: would either way. Truthfully. Aaron Hudson says, thanks for the content boys and making this season entertaining. been great to see the improvements in certain players like Rasmussen, Team's still bad, but the small improvements are great to see. Hopefully it continues next year, but as a team uh, as a whole... Uh, but the team as a whole loses a shit ton of games. Uh, ghost of podcast passes. Predict the number of goals Larkin, Zadina, Raymond, and will get over the course of their careers. Also predict the length of their... We are not doing that second part. Um, goals in their career. Zedina. Four... 41 I was going to say 390. Uh Larkin. 402. 375.
3: This is yeah, impossible.
1: Terrible. Raymond is going to hit 500. <laughs> I don't know why. I just decided. 669. <laughs> and Moritz Cider will finish with 200 goals even which will be a phenomenal output. Uh, Evan Beckner says, is Connor McDavid good at hockey? I don't know. Jury's still out. Deathman6452 says, what was the biggest high and biggest low for you this season? Uh, biggest low, the power play drought, biggest high Verana's Verona's four goals. Uh, gonna agree with
2: the Verona's four goals and I'll say the biggest low was Bernier getting 50 saves
3: and losing the game. That one sucked. Yeah, I think mine's the same as you, Ryan. That power play drought was a real Costs low. It us a lot of money. <laughs> and then they got really hot for like a week and then
2: went
1: right back to being dog shit for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah. Caminator says, any chance that Valeno was scratched due to games played for his ELC slide or was that to make the tank bowl? No, the slide didn't apply to um, Valeno this year. Uh, thanks for the great year of coverage and uh, philanthropic giving. You guys have made this year a bit more enjoyable. Thank you, Caminator. Third man in says, I'm not sure why people aren't giving Blashill more credit. This team just played their first four games in the month of May since 2013. Hashtag progress. <laughs> God. Ryan Lee says, I'm not sure why, but I just get the feeling that Eisman is going to pull some shenanigans at this year's draft. I don't know if it'll be moving up, moving down or going off the board, but I just feel like Eisman has something up his sleeve that no one is expecting. I have nothing to base this on. So what do I know? Thanks for keeping the season enjoyable and keep up the good work. I look forward to the off season coverage uh obi or Juan kenobi says another season is mercifully over can you explain the pros and cons of either offer shooting petterson or let him pass and taking hard the next two years yeah that's probably a patreon exclusive episode or something to dig in later in the offseason right brad it is absolutely a main topic of an episode it's just we have to wait to do it yeah
2: just keep in the back of your mind understanding where the red wings are there's a non-zero chance that you would be trading shane wright and connor batard for Elias petterson
1: Ah! Uh Matt S says I see Blash returning next season on a 1-year deal since the team improved as a whole. What coach do you want to see behind the bench in 2022? I would like Laryanov or Gallant given the wings connection. Keep up the good work, dub dub crew.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty long list of guys that I would like to see. Gallant, Laryanov, good bets. Lambert, I've heard good things. Gronberg would be a nice uh, fun experiment. There's a lot
1: uh, Sam W says, "Did you guys remember to call your mothers today? Have a great summer, Evan's favorite time of year. Thank you for the good times this season and in years past. Looking forward to some stellar off-season and draft content."
2: No, I haven't yet. Thanks for reminding me. I'll dust off the old Ouija board and get right on it.
3: <laughs> oh God,
1: Sam, you didn't deserve that. I'm so sorry. He usually saves that joke. <laughs> For me, most years. So, apologies to you. <laughs> I regret nothing. Andrew Bohan says, "Hello, my lovely dubbed-up boys. Give it to me straight. Set my bar. Better or worse next year? I'm prepared for either, but I'm curious where you're all at. They are adding one more at cider next year. This team will be better. Probably, yeah.
2: Every, almost every one of their key offensive players either regressed or finished below where we thought they would offensively, even with Blashills." like abhorrent offensive scheme, there's no way that happens again. Some guys will improve or regress to the mean while adding a more insider.
1: Stevie Langerman says, hey gents, Valeno, what a snipe. And man, it felt weird to genuinely be rooting for a loss, but whatever. Now to continue with the whatever I say in Patreon comments comes true. First Blash gets fired and talkett comes in. Ryan finally gets to spin off a night with Ryan Hannah. Evan hits a new PR score this summer, and uh, screw you, Brad, for doubting my 85 score last week. I shot an 89. Hey, piss off, Brad. He shot an 89 boys we can't it's not an 85 <laughs> boys we can't thank you enough for all the entertainment throughout the- yet another tough year looking forward to the off-season content and for you guys to get a well-deserved break except for you brad as always let's go red wings lars the, what the fuck did i do to all of you <laughs> well you are in full asshole mode today so it might be that
2: yeah, that's
1: fair. Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says as teams announce parting ways with coaches, can we safely say for us, no news is bad news. BlastGill is signing for a minimum of two years and will be the guy to develop our draftees, and Bilesma will show them the ropes on the power play. Seasons twenty-one to twenty-two will be awesome if that happens. Irony mode off.
2: I hate that you're right. I hate it so much.
1: Jonathan McLeish says that's a wrap. Thanks again for all your coverage and insight this season. Don't think you lads fully appreciate how important you are, especially helping us overseas fans in touch with uh keep in touch with things on the ground. Have a great summer. Jonathan, thank you so much for your support. That that genuinely means a lot. Uh the darkest timeline says so now the NHL hockey season is over. What should we be watching for our hockey fix? <laughs> uh the playoffs. Of course
2: yeah we we now get to watch proper hockey for the rest of the year yeah
1: pick a good team and watch them and go oh that's how far off this team is um don mitchell says what part of the offseason are you looking forward to the most and which one are you dreading expansion draft protection list announcements lottery
2: uh i I always dread the lottery. I, I hate it so much. So even though I'm dreading the expansion draft, I'll say the lottery and I'm obviously most looking forward to the draft.
1: Uh thanks as always, Frick Babcock by Doji Carpet Cheers Dawns dawn vax wax and ready to chow velvet joseph you are something else and happy mother's day to all the badass mothers out there barring a miracle blash will return if stevie wasn't happy, happy with him there would have been a distinct change in how the lineup was handled steve asked for patience but we're going to sit through another season of suck then it's time for some happy mug mega fun fan service retire 91 sign mike madonna to a one-day tryout so that he can p- play one shift against either the stars or the wild in his 1500th game Swap Disco Dan with Igor Larionov. Sign Wayne Simmonds. Simmons of note. Brad said last offseason that he was all for this because Simmons grew up a Red Wings fan. But then, a few weeks ago, he said he'd pass on him. Which one is it, Brad? Actually, participate in Pride Day. Three words: Mickey Kiss Cam Giovanni Smith and Alben Grava. Buddy cop film. Aussie for Hall of Fame. Stay fresh. Cheese bags. RC. That was a lot. RC Tendy says this year, uh, this was a much better season than last year. This should be an exciting off season, hopefully getting a new coach top 10 pick, maybe an offer sheet and more insider will soon be the NHL full time. The future is bright. Slava Kozlov's doppelganger says, I hope uh, uh, I'm driving through rural Pennsylvania and I have bad service. So I hope I make it. Uh, I took work off tomorrow. I can actually enjoy myself listening to a Monday episode. Um, as now as I'm typing this, it's snowing. So fuck me, what do you think cider season will look like next year? fun uh
2: if, if jeff blashill is the coach a lot of healthy scratches 12 minutes a night no um no i i think top top four minutes respectable numbers i'll say if he plays 82 games he'll finish around 20 25 points uh good defensive metrics
1: and we're all generally very happy uh Yarvik 7 on reddit asks um do you see Eisman canning Disco Dan now that the season is over? Honestly, I can see it happening. I could. Um, I'm not sure what his contract is like and whether they want to be paying out an assistant coach. It depends. I would imagine he might get another year. If Blashill stays, I will guess Disco Dan stays. But I think it's more likely that Blashill stays and uh, Disco Dan leaves. Then Blashill gets let go completely, if that makes sense.
2: I'm never a fan, no matter how bad anybody is. If you're getting rid of a coach, like it's got to be the staff. It's the dynamic is ruined. If you get rid of the assistants, but not the coach, then the coach is coaching scared, which truthfully isn't fair to the coach. And if you get rid of the coach, but keep the assistants, then it's a weird dynamic. I don't know. For me, I. If you're gonna do it, do it. Don't half ass it, but I don't
1: know, I could see either. Uh PLH two seven two nine says, let's say hypothetically Eisman decided he'd be willing to deal Larkin in the offseason. What would it take in return for you to be comfortable letting him go? Oh, multiple picks and pieces, and those picks better be first rounders in 2022 and or 2023. Um
2: think of the return that Mantha got, but add one more major piece
1: um all right one more here let's go with this one from cross crease pass are you guys hopping on any bandwagons for the playoffs i usually jump on vegas i'll probably stay there
2: um and maybe edmonton just because mcdavid needs a cup
1: yeah i think it'd be nice to see mcdavid win a cup um i'm gonna go with my tried and true whoever's playing toronto uh, I think that's a fun one. And Minnesota' is fun to root for, cause I think that team's hilarious. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're going to be back with you midweek to maybe discuss Blash Hill news, um, start our season recaps, and just generally berate you with our voices. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. We'd like to thank um, our uh, the sponsors of this show throughout the regular season, FanDuel Sportsbook. It's been a pleasure working with them. We'd like to thank all of our name-level sponsors of the Winged Wheel Podcast, um, Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartel, on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, uh, Rowan, uh, you deserve some acknowledgement because I know the, the Patreon on eight year comment again, so apologies for that. Brett Bailey, Terry, driver of Evans, Evans Wagon, Taylor Tadgel, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Han Ali, Hassam Al Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Kalen Wood, Cody Stark, congrats, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R. A. Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, unmentionably nasty hot dog water. <laughs> Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bengtson, Adam I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former, former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Leighton, Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minamah, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, all as good as it gets, Shitbag Supreme, Stan Olson, Trevor Pevavar, Vaxed, waxed and ready to chow velvet. What a way to end.